to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullock, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, resilience, anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. Reach out to me via LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullock there. You can send me a message. YouTube, you can leave a comment. Or on Voice America, there is a button underneath the graphic on the webpage for the show that allows you to send me an email as well. And I do respond to everything I get. So please feel free to reach out. Uh, With regards to YouTube, don't forget to check out the Preparing for the Unexpected YouTube channel because there are some shows there that don't appear on Voice America because they're shorter or they're longer in some cases. So don't forget, check out Preparing for the Unexpected on YouTube. As always, every month, I always talk with my friend, Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, it's a treat. It's February already. You know, we've been doing this. Has it been a year? I think it's been a year, right? Actually, I think this is the 13th episode that we've talked about uh, mostly on COVID. 13. Wow. Lucky 13. We talked about it uh, before uh, the who created uh, or declared, I should say, pandemic. And mm-hmm. um, we were talking about it in China and what might happen if it came over here. So we've been talking about it for a long time. Yeah. Go by fast, doesn't it? Fast <laughs> and yet it feels so long. It feels so long. Yes. It feels like deja vu every day. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And um, what can I say? But it's a delight to be with you as always. I have lots of things to talk about as usual. Oh, I know. (laughs) Sometimes I wish we did film or record our opening talk, you know, because we always end up talking for 10, 12 minutes before we start recording. We should do that. Sometimes just just start recording and just don't tell me and we'll just get into it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do the whole show that way. Right, right, right. The surprise show. Well, let's jump right into it. What's what's the latest um, that you have uh, from uh, COVID? Where are we? Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, I suppose, or, or fortunately, I'm not sure how you look at it, but we are recording this on the date that the United States has reached the really grim milestone of a half a million deaths here in the U.S. And so it's um, kind of a solemn time. And I, and I want to say that it's only been um, 30 days uh, since we were at 400,000. So we have added 100,000 lives lost in just 30 days here in the United States. And so it is a reminder to all of us that I know that this is long and grueling and difficult. But there is a lot of uh, people suffering way beyond what you and I might be suffering who have lost loved ones and are really trying to cope with uh, loss of life, loss of health, Uh, loss of income and lots of struggles. So I know that overall, everybody wants to get back to their life. But um, 
we can't do that. And for all the reasons that 100,000 on top of another 100,000 on top of another 100,000 and so on reveal to us. And that we are frankly, Alex, really stuck in this pandemic until, until the vaccination rate globally really is going to get to be somewhere in the 70%. So yes, indeed, maybe we'll have more well, certainly not herd immunity, but we'll have a lot less disease transmission in countries once it gets to be in the 70% range. But it also is a time to stop and reflect that until every country has a large number of people vaccinated, this disease will continue to threaten every nation, every person in the globe. And that's because anywhere in the world where there's an outbreak, or where there's limited vaccination, a variant can spin up just like it did in Brazil and South Africa and the UK. And somebody contracts that illness, gets on a plane, and next thing you know, they go to Toronto and it starts all over again. So it's, and it's happened. Yes, yes. And I think, I think uh, you know, it's, it, we have to talk to ourselves and kind of remind ourselves of this enormity of this, um, but at the same time, the humanity of it. And I think, I don't know about you, but for me, the half a million deaths number is big. It's, um, it's painful. And I, I spent a little bit of time today sort of grieving about that. And I think it's important that we all recognize our own humanity and that we need to stop and, you know, have some sadness about what's really going on and then, you know, collect ourselves and move forward. But I, I think it's critical to spend some moments grieving too. I, I think that's an interesting point because I felt that way when I saw the number today too, when I turned on the, the news and looked at the number and I, I felt like my heart sank, like, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't we have done better? Right. You know, it, right. and I don't just mean the United States. I don't want to, you know, pick a political fight here or anything, but just seeing that number in itself, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't we have done better? You know, mm-hmm. could, d- 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 wasn't there something we could have done? Well, obviously there was, we know there was, right. but, you know, didn't we realize that, you know, we would have such a, an impact on, you know, people, you know, mm-hmm. by denying, ignoring, or mm-hmm. taking our time to make decisions, mm-hmm. you know, half a million, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And, you I know, mean, think of how many that's, cities that's you have person. that are that size, right? Yeah, in Canada. Each, each, each number represents one person. But one person, let's say, has, you know, a partner or, you know, uh, children, you know, mm-hmm. grandparents or mm-hmm. parents, depending on who it was. So let's say another 10 people. So you can, mm-hmm. you know, you could say up to 5 million people, you know, mm-hmm. just t- timing that number by 10, have mm-hmm. been impacted. Right. You know, right. and their lives will never be the same. That's huge. Right. That's, it's huge. It's huge. And I think, um, <clears throat> I think it's important to, to have that moment to really just acknowledge that, Um and not to be not to bemoan it, I suppose, for but you know to just uh, let it in because otherwise I think that there's an important grief has an important role to play in any of this, um, whether it's your own personal grief about losing somebody or kind of the more country or global grief. <clears throat> so I think it's important just to reflect on it. So I think that's a big deal here in the United States. I think globally, what we're seeing is really a big drop now in numbers. And uh, a case is pretty much 
you know, in a majority of the countries. And there's a lot of speculation of like, what does this mean? You know, now I, I want your listeners to reflect that vaccines for the for most part have only been available for the last 60 days. And in many countries, hardly at all, if, it, if at all. And so people might say, well, gosh, is it the vaccines that are making a difference in the drop of the numbers? And the answer is no, it's not the vaccines. Uh, The thing that you want to look at is there's a a variety of reasons why the numbers are dropping so much. But a couple of the big headlines are is that, first of all, we had really huge numbers to start, right? So as we were, you know, going through the fall season of gatherings, Thanksgivings between Canada and uh, United States. Yeah. Uh, our numbers were going up and up and up. And then we got into that about four week period of holidays and all of that. And the numbers just exploded because there was just way too many gatherings of all kinds. And it took a long time to churn through um, testing, uh, hospitalizations and deaths. And now we're sort of coming down off a gigantic wave of all of those holidays. Um, The other thing I will say to you here in the United States is our testing numbers have really dropped for some reason. People are not getting tested. So maybe our case numbers are still higher than they are. And they're they're high. I mean, they're not low. They're in the 60,000s a day. Any idea why the people aren't getting tested as much? That's a really good question. Now, there are some people that say if they're interviewed that they don't want to get tested because either they don't want to know or they don't want to be having to quarantine or they don't want to have to tell their employer. So there's some people that have that kind of feeling. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I mean, there's more testing available, but people aren't getting tested. So that's another part of the issue. So we have a big drop from a big surge. We have less testing overall. Uh, We have about, depending on how you count it, around maybe 25% or so, 30, maybe a percent of the nation that's been sick and had COVID. So that will help slow transmission a little bit. Uh, And the last thing is, is that frankly, here in the US, people are finally, until maybe the last week or so, been pretty good. I would say most people are better masking. Now, because of the variants, people are double masking. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I um, hear my friends who live all over the United States saying that they're seeing more um, responsibility where people are behaving more appropriately. Now in the city I live in, we have the lowest death count and lowest case count of any large city in America. Our death counts about 380 now, 380 persons. And our case counts only about 35,000 in a city of 900,000 people. Uh, and we're all squished together in San Francisco. We're not spread out like some large uh, expansive mm-hmm. property in Texas or something. Uh, and so um, what we have is that people are here around in my town, people are really good. But uh, many communities in the United States, not so much. And so I think people are more compliant now. Now, I will say to you that very recently, there's several uh, governors uh, and mayors who have removed mask mandates, which they have the legal authority to do. And so people are becoming, oh, I'm tired, I'm burned out. You know, the other thing is that here in the United States, they're starting to open up restaurants and bars and gyms and and our case count Alex is still high it's in the you know 58 or 60,000 today is an example and so I'm super nervous about that so it's a weird kind of mix but we are we have not achieved herd immunity we're not going to get to herd immunity if we're lucky until the late 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 fall Uh, so what we're seeing in the drop is numbers is not vaccines and it's not herd immunity unfortunately 
the the same thing is happening here. Uh, I don't think anyone is in lockdown anymore. And if uh, they are, the ones that I do know are going to be opening up in next week, but they're going to be opening up slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the last time we talked, I gave an example of um, some teenagers that were walking around my neighborhood that I saw all the time, no masks. Well, now I'm seeing everybody wearing a mask. That's good. You know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, I don't know if it was the same group, uh, of course, but mm-hmm. um, a group of teenagers were walking by and everyone had a mask on now, you know, and uh, they were moving off the sidewalk as I came through with the dog or I went off the sidewalk. Everybody had a mask now. Um, I think I mentioned there was a party at the university here. Mm-hmm. Um, a super where, spreader event, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, a super spreader event. Uh, we're not hearing that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing like that's happened because everybody got uh, ticketed or some people right. are actually now getting uh, fined, you know, $1,000. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from what I've heard that, uh, you know, courts and everybody, they're not even going to talk to you about, you know, if you want to fight the ticket. It's, no, too bad. You're, you're paying it. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden, I'm not seeing a lot of those stories anymore either. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. People know there's now they are being held accountable for what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know. And our our hospitalizations, deaths, um, new cases, and active cases are all going down. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I'm still a little nervous with having things open up. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 only because we went through it before. Numbers went down. Right. Right. And everything right. opened up, and then all of a sudden, you know, we right. had we had a bigger wave. Um, I know we've got. I don't know about the states. Actually, I haven't heard this, but uh, in Canada now, if you are traveling and you're flying into the country, uh, before you can even get on the plane, you have to prove that you have a hotel at your destination because you have to quarantine there for two weeks from the airport to the hotel. You can't go anywhere. You, know, so you, you guys are good that way. We're not that way. We should be, but we're not. <laughs> Well, that only just came into effect. And a lot mm-hmm. of us are, are kind of looking at each other going, why didn't you do that from the start? Right. You know, maybe we wouldn't have had some of these cases that we've got. Right. You know, but, you know. It, the only thing you're doing in the U.S. is if you come from another country, you have to be able to present that you have a positive, uh, negative COVID test. Yeah. That's you have the to only- do that too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and they've already, I've heard that a couple of people have already been fighting it because they were sent back saying, no, 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 no. And there are is now, uh, I saw one article last week about fake slips. You know, criminals yes. jumped on that right away. Yes. You, know, you can now buy oh, yeah. fake slips and, you know, uh, get into a, a country or travel or whatever the case may be. You know? And that's where, you know, I think people often take that idea, Alex, and then talk about the idea of immunity passports. You know, but the idea would be on your be on your phone, right? So you'd actually then be able to show it. But, oh my God, talk about the ability for hacking, uh, fraudulent passports, uh, fraudulent apps, uh, and so I think that even though that sounds great to be able to say, "Gee, I, I you know, I, I got vaccinated, or my test is negative, and I can go to a, you know, a concert or get on a plane or something like that," but you know, how will, will we be able to ensure? that that app or that passport is actually legit and not yeah. a fraud and that you are actually indeed vaccinated or you just really got a negative COVID test. There've already been uh, cases busted in Europe of rings selling, you know, negative COVID tests documentation. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't take them very long to uh, put that <laughs> right. together, did it? No, not yeah. at all. Not at all. Jeez. And then there's the, um, oh, oh, I just had it in my head. 
Oh, our, and our border is still closed to the United States, actually, land border. Well, you know, and actually a lot, of, a, lot of the, a lot of the cities in the U.S. are unhappy about that because they get a lot of revenue from Canadians who are coming to the U.S. It's a but big deal. a lot deal. of Canadians don't want to go to the U.S. right now. Well, I, would you want to go to the disease central of, uh, of the world? <laughs> <laughs> I love going to the uh, U.S. You know, I, I know you and I have touched base in Phoenix, you know, and yeah, yeah, I've yeah, been yeah. to other, other places. And, you know, I love going to the States, but right now with the way things are, I don't want to get on a plane. I don't want right. to go somewhere where I don't know what's happening. Yep. You know, there, there's, Very just, smart. It's too risky. Too risky. You know, for me and for others. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And on that, we've actually come to the end of our first segment. Uh, we're having our monthly chat with Regina Phelps about all things COVID related. And uh, just as a side note for anyone knows, and for Regina, it's the first time we've actually met our 16 minute first segment time limit. Ooh. Do you believe? <laughs> Celebration. <laughs> we'll I guess that right- means we're trainable, Alex. I didn't know that yeah, was possible. I guess so. <laughs> we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's time to build a life you love. Let's get intimate with your host, Christiane Bella, the Intimacy Architect. Intimacy Architecture Radio is a judgment-free zone with topics covering health, relationships, sexuality, and more. This is a safe space where nothing is taboo, and you're invited to call in and ask the questions you need to ask to discover the power of your intimacy. Intimacy Architecture can be heard every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And we're back talking with Regina Phelps about all things COVID. So 
Regina, we're hearing a lot of stuff about um, the variants lately. You know, mm -hmm. I, I even heard um, on the radio that one of the variants has now become another variant that mm -hmm. came out of it. You know, and that's Brazil, UK, uh, South Africa. Mm -hmm. what, what's happening with those? Yeah, so let me talk a little bit about the variants because it is it's fascinating from a scientific perspective and creepy from a living perspective. So. Uh, let me just talk about variants for a moment and, and, and the current science about where these really difficult and nasty variants are coming from. Um, many of these believe, and in some cases are actually traced back to a person. And what they've discovered is that these individuals where these pretty nefarious um, variants are coming from were either immunocompromised so perhaps a cancer patient or somebody with some oh, immunocompressed uh, uh, com uh, disease uh, got ill and their immune system was having a very difficult time fighting it off, even with medications, et cetera. And so because the person was infected for such a long period of time, the virus had the opportunity to constantly keep trying and reinventing itself. So in those individuals that are uh, immunocompromised, uh, that's one place where the variants have come from. The second place they've come from is actually people of either that has received particularly convalescent plasma. So convalescent plasma, which is one of the therapeutics that are given to people in hospitals, if the antibodies in that plasma isn't quite strong enough to kill off the virus, it puts up a position where that virus can keep retrying and retrying and retrying. And in their efforts, they reinvent themselves. Now, the way that they actually can trace this back to actually a individual rather than just happenstance is that the sheer number of mutations in these big uh, variants that have been released. So normally a variant might have one or two mutations and maybe it's able, I can pass it to you, but it's not very good and it doesn't get much farther these more sophisticated variants that have come from these immunocompromised people or people who have received convalescent plasma have in some cases between 17 and 23 significant mutations. So the virus just kept reinventing itself and changing and changing. Well, does this work? Does that work? It becomes more and more adaptable. And then if it's able to successfully exit that person and actually infect somebody, that's where the problem begins. Uh, you mentioned uh, one that variant that had changed already, and that is actually the UK variant. In the UK variant, in the UK, there's actually been documented cases where the UK variant has mutated again, and it now has uh, mutations that are similar to the South African variant. And why that particularly would be deeply concerning is that the UK variant, the BB B117, is more infectious, more transmissible, and a little bit more deadly, the South African variant uh, evades vaccine and therapeutics. So you marry those two together, it would be a bad thing. That's only right. in a very few documented cases. So if that really did take off, it would be, it would change everything. That would be worse than what we've got now. Could be right, right, right. And so the B117, which is now in the United States, actually all of the variants are in the United States. P1, which is from Brazil, and B1351, which is from South Africa, are all in the U.S. Um, so the, the U.K. variant, the B117, is actually doubling every 10 days here in the U.S. And the big concern about that, Alex, is that many of the infectious disease doctors and epidemiologists that I work with believe 
That is, it continues to spread and find more and more people because of its infectious nature and the fact that it is more deadly. What's very likely to happen is that now we're going to have probably about the middle of March, uh, we could be having, you know, spike number four here in the U.S. And, and why it's concerning is because, as we talked about in the last segment, where not, not everybody's wearing a mask and there's some places that are, that are relaxing those things and they're opening up stuff. So the numbers are coming down, so everybody feels really good, but the variants are coming up. And so, you know, there's this chance where we could actually be coming down from the highest high and then start back up again to be at even a much higher position than we were just a while ago. So that's a big issue in the U.S. And the variants are going to be a big issue worldwide. Is that why there's talk of wearing two masks now? Is yes, double masking. So, and I'm glad you said that. So in this, I hope this doesn't happen in Canada, but so many people, when they wear a mask, either a surgical mask or a paper mask or a cloth mask, it's not tightly fitted, right? It's, it's got little gaps. It's got little gaps. And so I wear surgical masks. That's my mask of choice. And so I have a smaller face and I actually, I have to kind of tuck them so that they actually fit well. I've been double masking uh, for maybe, I don't know, 45 days. So I wear a surgical mask, which has good filtration. And then I wear a cloth mask on top of that. And that gets me a better seal around my face. Uh, an N95 would be a great thing or a K95, but those are not easy to find. So double masking it. And actually the CDC is recommended now, especially if you're in, a, in an area, you know, if you were to go on a plane, let's say, and you couldn't get an N95, you would want it to be double masked. If you're going to be standing in a grocery store line, you should be double masked. Um, because remember, this is an aerosol-driven uh, mm -hmm. illness. So it's not just what you see that's in the air. It's all this aerosol that you can't see. And if you're inside a building for any length of time, you have the opportunity for exposure. So double masking is the way to go. And especially with B117, which is very transmissible. Now, I also heard something about the, the variants, um, if they do, uh, hope, hope not, knock on wood, uh, take off, mm -hmm. that we could be in this pandemic as a result of it for till the end of the year, into 2022. Is oh, that oh, yeah. kind of oh, likely? Or, that would be, oh, yeah, that's or highly is that, possible. Or is that scare tactics? No, that's actually highly possible. Because remember, if the variants are not as a, if the vaccines aren't as effective with the variants, you can vaccinate a lot of people, but you are not going to have a match, and that's the big issue. <coughs> so, pardon me for the B one one seven. It still works. Uh, the vaccines still work against it. The ones that are a bigger concern are the P one, which is from Brazil, and the B one three five one, which is from South Africa. Those have significant changes on the spike protein, which is where the vaccines are aimed at, and and it does reduce the efficacy of those vaccines. Now, there's one study I will tell you that actually scared the hell out of me, and this was actually it's been documented very well. And any of your listeners want to look up Mancus, Brazil. And there's a, a lot of articles about this, but there was one very recently in The Lancet. And I'm happy to send you a link if you want to put it in the show notes for this. Um, sure. uh, so uh, Mancus Brazil is a 2.5 million uh, population town outside, right out, out of the outskirts of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. So two and a half million people. In the spring, March, April, that community was devastated. There were so many people who were sick and dying from COVID. They had people dying on the streets. They had mass burial graves. It was a horror show. 
Now, over wow. the course of our summer, their winter, they actually it got it a little bit, it got under control and it began to dissipate. They did, uh, scientists went in and they did what are called seroprevalence studies, where they checked the antibodies of a large number of residents. And they discovered to their shock that about 75% of the 2.5 million people had antibodies, which means they had been sick. Okay, so that's the baseline. Now, starting in November, P1, the Brazilian variant, took off in Megas Brazil, and it is doing exactly the same thing right now. It is killing large numbers of people. They have ran out of oxygen in hospitals. They are treating people on the street. The people are, it's exactly the same thing. And that is horrifying to think that all of those people got sick and now a new variant came out and all of them are now vulnerable again. So that's the kind of thing you hear something like that. And it makes me sort of sit back in my shoes and it's not just a casual observation about this. It's been documented extensively by very significant and reputable medical journals. And it's frankly terrifying, but I will send you some links to that because your viewers might want to read about it. Yeah, that, that would be great if you could send that when we finish talking today and I'll, yeah. I'll include that in my notes. Has, has anything changed? I'm curious now based on that 75% uh, you know um, the the Brazil variant that you were talking about. Has anything changed on the on how COVID and these variants are affecting children? Do you know? Yeah, because that's I know really we interesting. We talked about that once before, and I'm wondering yeah. if there's any uh, if there's been any change on that. There's been just in this last week. So one of the syndromes that a child may get is they might get a multi-inflammatory, um, multi-organ inflammatory disease. So they get COVID, it may not even be that significant, but what starts to happen is they develop a variety of significant medical issues and it's a multi-organ uh, inflammatory response where it's infected just about everything in their body. And so they go into a hospital and they have just tremendous illness. They have started to see, uh, originally there wasn't that many cases of this multi-inflammatory disease in children. Now I believe we're up to several hundred now. And so there was just several articles this last week about more serious illness in young children by simply more numbers. Now, is it because we just have so many cases and that's why, but traditionally or historically, uh, children have not had significant illness with COVID. However, there has been there has been this increase in this multi-organ uh, inflammatory disease. In the in the five hundred um, in the five hundred thousand deaths in the United States as of today, two hundred twenty-five of those were children. So the numbers are very very small, but there is this shift that's happening, and that's something that I think we need to just continue to watch. And you'll see that written up in a variety of medical journals uh, in in this last week. And, and I I'm, I guess I'm assuming correctly, unfortunately, that the variants could actually have an impact on that, could yes. change those numbers, right? That could be one of the yes. tricks. And I think that's the that's the big takeaway for your listeners is that, you know, I, I, I hate to be the one that can't ever produce the best news here, but the scary thing is, is that the variants have the potential to change all of this. And I think we got lulled into a lot of complacency because even though the virus is constantly mutating, there were no big significant releases of these uh of these viruses that had really transformed themselves as we've seen in the last um, 90 days. 
120 days. Mm -hmm. And so um, because that, I think we were thinking like, whoa, we get the vaccines and we're home free, right? Like, woohoo. Well, you know, that's not the case because the vaccines and the variants have to match up. And if they don't, this pandemic will continue to drone on uh, for a lot longer than we would like. It, it could have been if the variants didn't show up. Right. We, we, right. we could have, you know, it's just like business continuity planning. You know, if you have a disaster, you plan a certain way, hope everything goes the happy path. And if we had COVID, just COVID and the vaccines, we would have had a happy path and eventually see the light at the end of the tunnel. And now you, we see variants coming along that are kind of, right. oh, no, 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 slow down. Right. <laughs> not so happy path. <laughs> right, 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 right. You thought you had us, huh? Not so yeah. much. Yeah. So you've talked about vaccines. What's the latest with vaccines? Because I, I think there's still really only two key players right now, Moderna and Pfizer. Right. Are Those two. are the two ones that have gotten emergency authorization in most countries. Uh, but Johnson & Johnson is right on their foots. Uh, and so here in the United States, uh, the FDA is having a meeting regarding the Johnson & Johnson vaccine on uh, February 26th. And I would imagine, you know, within a week after that, they're probably going to get an emergency use authorization, assuming the data is what they've been releasing by press release all pans out. And so that will be a, a third vaccine. Now, the good thing about that vaccine is it only requires one dose. It's not quite as effective. Uh, you know, it's in the 80% versus the 95%. But many times people say to me, you know, if I get a chance to get a vaccine, but it's the Johnson & Johnson, I really want the Pfizer, should I skip it? It's like, no, 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 no. Hmm. You get a chance to get a vaccine, you get a vaccine, yeah. regardless of what it is. So, um, there, and there will be more vaccines coming uh, over the course of the summer. But I think we were kind of spoiled by the messenger RNA vaccines. Not only were they the first to market, but they had such high efficacy rates. Uh, perhaps others will have that same um, efficacy, but certainly right now, Johnson Johnson looks like it's in that 80 percentile. Uh, the other thing I would say to you is that you might have been hearing recently that based on the variants, you know, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine require two doses each, 21 or 28 days apart. And there's recent studies, uh, uh, Pfizer in particular, is that after the first dose, or about the time you're waiting for the second one, that, that uh, amount of uh, effectiveness can rise up into the 90s. There has been some discussion here in the United States among infectious disease doctors and epidemiologists is because of the variant here in the United States doubling every 10 days, the B117, that maybe the best thing to do would be to not give a second dose, but to take that second dose and give it to somebody else. And then the idea would be you could vaccinate why this variant is ripping through the country. You have the possibility to actually potentially save more lives because the people would at least all have, especially the older folks, you know, above, above 65, everybody could get vaccinated by April if we did that. And very likely that would probably save a lot of lives if B117 follows the path that most people believe it's going to, which is a gigantic surge. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing that's, that's people are chewing on right now, but if they don't make a decision soon, it won't matter because that needs to happen now. And we know how long it takes for uh, to get decisions uh, right. uh, at, at uh, you know high government levels and things like that. Right. And especially in the U.S., where you don't have uh, a single uh, governing agency like we at least we do in Canada. Even though you know nothing's it's not perfect, we at least have one health agency we can all turn to. 
Right. Yeah. Here in the United States, it's, it's not that, as you well know, at all, right, yeah. which makes it much more difficult. And on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps today, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's time to build a life you love. Let's get intimate with your host, Christiane Bella, the Intimacy Architect. Intimacy Architecture Radio is a judgment-free zone with topics covering health, relationships, sexuality, and more. This is a safe space where nothing is taboo, and you're invited to call in and ask the questions you need to ask to discover the power of your intimacy. Intimacy Architecture can be heard every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking with Regina Phelps today about COVID, uh, the latest happenings with COVID. Um Regina, uh, I think there's a little bit more we want to talk about some of the vaccine, and that's the rollout, right? How are things going with the rollout? I know things have changed in the U.S. Yeah, so well, certainly in the U.S. we are, uh, it has changed uh, immensely. Now we actually have a plan, and the federal government's really doing a lot to assist with administration. So it's moving along. I wanted just to share with you some of the data, and I would say to all of your listeners, if you're curious about what's happening in vaccines, not just in your country, but any place in the world, if you go to Bloomberg, uh, there's many free sections of Bloomberg, which is an expensive website, but they're all of their blue, all of their pandemic uh, documents are free. And they have a very excellent vaccine tracker 
which actually monitors vaccine doses worldwide, both first and second doses. And uh, it's really excellent. So if you're trying to scope out what countries are looking like, I would uh, really encourage you to go to that site. Uh, I wanted to say that when you look at that site, uh, the number one country for vaccine administration is Israel, which is actually vaccinated 78.8 doses per 100 people. That's pretty impressive. And they've actually administered um, uh, 47% has gotten the first dose and 31% have gotten two doses. And these are you know, the two-dose vaccines, right? Uh, and what they're starting to see in Israel is now a decrease in transmission because they have such high vaccination uh, so that's something that all of us can look forward to. Here in the U.S., we are one, two, three. We're like six down, and we're at 19.3 for doses per 100 people. You're a fair nation. I love Canada, but you're really we're slow not- in the vaccines. <laughs> you're at 3.97 for doses per 100 people, right? So as I mentioned earlier, until we really get widespread vaccination worldwide, this threat is not going away. Uh, Even though your country might be doing very well with vaccines, uh, if travel, uh, which of course will happen, uh, we are still gonna have the opportunity to have a disease introduced into our countries and uh, issues related to variants. I wanna give a shout out in my country, interestingly enough, the state that has the highest vaccination rate is Alaska. Uh, which is kind of shocking because Alaska is a very large state and extremely rural. And for Mm. them to administer vaccines, maybe like in the Northern Territories, they can do it by float planes, ski mobiles, snowshoes, and skiing. And they actually have teams. I've actually heard interviews with some teams that usually about 10 people. I heard a team of all women, like two physicians, two pharmacists, and the rest were nurses. And they basically go into a village, they fly in, snowshoe in, whatever it is, and they vaccinate the entire village. And then they go back out and they do exactly that same thing. But that with that kind of effort, they have actually been able to really vaccinate a large number of people. So I give a shout out to my Alaskan colleagues for all of their great work. And then, uh, then uh, interestingly enough, the, uh, the uh, American territories, Guam, American Samoa, and uh, Palau have all gotten vaccines at a high level right below Alaska. And then our next state is New Mexico. So that's the top five in the U.S. Alaska, three territories, and New Mexico. <laughs> and I think ours here, the top ones are our three northern territories, right. Northwest Territories, Yukon, Nunavut, and uh, I think our smallest province. Um, oh, my God. Prince Edward Island. Yes, right. Ooh, almost right, forgot. Right. I'd have all Actually, these. that was in Bloomberg, too. I saw that. So what I would say to all of your listeners, if you get a chance to get vaccinated, take it. Don't debate about which vaccine you're being offered. Any of them are good. Some are slightly better than others. It does not matter. It's going to stop you from having serious illness and dying and very likely stop you from getting the disease. So take any vaccine that comes your way. Do not hesitate at all. Yeah, if you're thirsty, a half a glass of water is better than an empty glass, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. And and we need to stop this pandemic. We need needles in arms. Yes. That's the only way this is going to stop. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about today is the return to the office stuff mm-hmm. that's going on. I'm seeing a lot. Uh, you and I had this chat before we started talking today, and I was getting a little wound up i think (laughs) you alex really me yeah yeah (laughs) 
I, I'm seeing a lot of uh, webinars, and I'm going to be attending a few over the next few days, of uh, on the topic of returning to the office, what organizations need to do. And I, I'm getting the feeling that in a way we haven't learned some uh, lessons uh, from you know, our experiences. It's all from the perspective of the organization, you know, we want people to come back to the office and, you know, we're going to send out communications. This is what we want you to do. And yet for the last year, organizations have all been saying that, you know, we're most concerned mm. about our people. Yet it feels as though right now that one aspect, people, isn't being incorporated into anything mm -hmm. because for the last year, people have been working at home. There is a new uh, way of getting through the day for people. You know, I know people that are happy because they get to see their kids in the morning now and send them off to school or they're home when their kids come home. You know, they're getting to spend more time with their families. Uh, you know, it's not for everybody. Uh, you know, granted, I'm not, not, I don't want to make it seem as though everything's a rosy picture, but for many, you know, there are some who didn't thrive in the office, but are now thriving working from home. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are ecstatic, like I would be, you know, not having to take two hours of commuting time in the morning and mm -hmm. two hours back at the end of the day, mm -hmm. that's gone. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm having that, which gives me a better work-life balance. And now organizations are suddenly coming along and talking saying, well, now we're going to get uh, everything uh, back the way it was before. It feels like we haven't learned anything and we're not addressing what's mm -hmm. really going on. What, what kind of thoughts do you have? Well, what I would see to you is a couple of things is that um, here in the States uh, and in most communities that we have clients in uh, throughout the uh, United States, none of them are going back at this point. Uh, and I think the general consensus is, is that people originally thought they might be able to go back in the summer. And I think as soon as the variants really began to shoot up and uh, that sort of has changed the entire dynamic. Uh, most of my clients now are looking and praying that they might be able to reopen offices probably in the fall. Many of them have actually already looked to the winter of 2022. Now, um, what does all of that mean? And what do, we, what do we need to think about? I agree with you, Alex, that if we have gone through all of this hell for the last year plus, and we haven't learned anything, meaning we haven't found uh, that some really positive things out of all of this misery and we go back and do what we've always done, I would say, frankly, shame on us. What are you, what have you been doing? So many of my clients, I know, you know, I've talked about this before, have really embraced this concept of reinvention and that the idea is that we are, many of my clients are re, actually now really seriously beginning to look at what this really means to them. Do we need as much office space? Many of them, the vast majority, in fact, I'm, it's not just me talking about this. I mean, I've seen uh, McKinsey has done multiple studies about this, that, that many employers are looking at a hybrid model, which would be something like, you know, two or three days at work or two or three days at home. Uh, and, and, and that could also change. Uh, if your job can be done effectively at home and you don't need to have a great need for collaboration, maybe you'd be at home more days. But I think the idea is that a more forward-thinking organization is going to look at this as an opportunity. Frankly, for them, if they can actually have the work done well and not have as much office space, that's a big saving for them. Many of my clients with call centers have already decided they're not, they're not reopening those things. 
uh, they might have a small um, group of individuals so that if there's power outages or issues where people couldn't operate out of their homes, they don't go down. But many of them are not bringing call centers back at all. Um, And so I think uh, it takes a more forward thinking executive, perhaps, to really ask the question, you know, what did we learn? And what, why do we go back? And this is what I also would say to anybody who's working with an executive team and they're really saying, well, let's go back, let's go back. And the question is, why are we going back now? And I want to remind you, because of the variance, I think this is a huge issue. You should not be thinking about going back now. Uh, and maybe what you should be doing is planning for the fall. By then, we've got probably enough vaccine out in the community that if the variants haven't ripped off and and changed a lot, maybe we could have a chance of going back successfully. But I think the thing that we need to sort of dance in our mind with are three key things, and they all start with the letter V. Vaccines we've talked about, variants we've talked about. The third thing we haven't talked about is the V of ventilation. This is the big deal. Uh, Offices are indoor spaces. That requires that we have excellent ventilation. Another site I would like to suggest to your listeners is the Healthy Building site from Harvard in the United States. There's actually really, believe it or not, in the Department of Public Health, a division of Harvard that started about, I think, 10 years ago, and it's all on healthy buildings. I mean, don't you think they're having a moment now? Oh, my God. (laughs) And uh, a lot of their research has been around, this is way before the pandemic, is about ventilation. And so what they talk about is, and all their studies were done about just uh, overall wellness, overall uh, decrease in illness. This is before the pandemic. Now they've done a ton of other studies related to COVID. But clearly there are several things that have to happen for you to be able to open an office, have people come back, and be safe at work. Because frankly, if people don't take care of the ventilation question, it's you're gonna have to go back. And frankly, it's gonna be like you're working at home, all, although you had to drive to work. You can't have meetings in a conference room. You're still gonna be wearing a mask. You, shouldn't, you can't really go to a break. They should close all the break rooms and not have people sitting in a break room with a mask off eating. So, okay, you start, and that's what I always push on people. Do you understand what this means? So that's the first thing I would say is that, do you understand what it means right now today with the limited number of vaccines that are out, the number of variants that are out, and the number of cases that are out? You're going to drive to work to work from home. Now, the other thing I want to go back to about the ventilation, because this is really important for your listeners, is that there's a lot of research done about ventilation. And they know that from a ventilation perspective, to really minimize aerosol transmission. Remember, what is COVID? It's an aerosol transmitted disease. You must have in your air conditioning system, your HVAC, an air exchange of four to six air exchange per hour. Now, how many ventilation systems have four to six air exchanges per hour? Most businesses have one half hour to one hour exchange routinely. For you to get to four to six exchanges per hour, sometimes the ventilation system is not robust enough to turn that much air in that period of time. So many companies here in the States have already been realizing they had to change and upgrade their HVAC because it does not move the air sufficiently to get four to six air exchanges 
an hour. The second thing you have to have with ventilation is you have to have good filtration. What does that mean? You want to have what's called a MERV 13 filter. That's a HEPA filter that will remove most very small aerosol sized viral particles. So you get four to six air exchanges per hour, you get a MERV 13 filter, and the last thing you must have in a safe ventilation system for COVID is you need humidity at about 40 to 60%. And many times the air exchanges and all of that in, the, in most buildings, it's very dry. COVID likes dry air. Mm. So if people are gonna go back to an office, I want you to talk about ventilation. Tell me, what are you doing to make that safe? It's not just limiting the number of people in an elevator and having one-way hallways and making everybody wear a mask, blah, blah, blah. It's the ventilation system. And the other thing is that even if people have an own, their own individual office, they think, well, gee, I can have my mask off. Well, maybe not. Because what happens with the air? Where does that air go? It's going to go into the ventilation system. And if you really might be uh, transmitting COVID, you're now sending it through the air. So, and it's going to live for a while. It's going to go down the hallway. It's going to drop into somebody else's office. So you got to dig into the HVAC system in a really big way. Mm. Uh, and for a lot of offices, that's not going to work because their systems are too old. Yeah. And we've got less than two minutes. Uh, the, the last thing I just wanted to say is the reason why I wanted to bring that up is Right now, there's a big concern about, uh, you know, employee well-being and yeah. their, me mental, their mental health, right? And yeah. yet we're, we're all of a sudden, or not we, but organizations are all of a sudden, well, now this is what we expect of you. You know, it's as though they're, they haven't learned that or realized that there are, you know, it's not just sniffles and colds, you know, et cetera, that COVID is showing. It's impacting the well-being of people. And right. that aspect seems to have been forgotten. Yeah. You know, and not yeah. I mean, addressed. if people are rushing to get back, I would say that is the case. Yeah. That, 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 and this is really what your listeners have to take away from this conversation about going back to work. Answer me the question, why are you going back now? Yeah. Why are you going back now? If you've been working at home for 12 months, why are you going back now when it's still so dangerous with the variants? Yeah. And that's the perfect spot to end this month's show. Regina, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. you know, know, my uh, I enjoy our talks every month and I'm already looking forward to next month just to see where we are, you know, what's happened uh, then. So thank you very much for your, your time again. I appreciate Alex, it. Alex, always a great pleasure. And to everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.